0: The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Well, good morning. It is great for Sandy and me to be here in Richardson with you guys. Uh, two good reasons. Thank you, Josiah. Two good reasons is uh, in, uh, after I'm finished with this sermon in about an hour and a half. No, not quite that long, but uh, we'll be heading uh, north Uh, to see our oldest granddaughters, who her husband are in Sherman, and uh, uh, they'll be serving in their church today. But also, uh, Randy had mentioned, uh, in a few days we'll be heading off to Egypt. And going to float the Nile River. Sandy saw the movie Death on the Nile and is always wanting to go to the Nile. And I said, well, what death are you looking for? Okay, Uh, but uh, we'll be doing that and enjoying that time. But it's it's great to be with you. You know, I I watch these worship leaders, and I know your choir in our other room uh, prepares. And I don't know, I get a little flow sheet of of what's going to happen. But also it's the times they show up to get ready for us. Okay. Choir, orchestra, praise team, sound folks, they serve us. I sure hope you take opportunity to say thank you to those who lead us in worship every week and and bless our hearts. But we're we're on a journey during these days. Uh, I love what you're doing, uh, going through the book of Acts. And so I already know in a couple of weeks when I'm back, uh, uh, we'll be in Acts 21. But today... We're in one of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 18. Open your Bibles to chapter 18. And one of the reasons why, it's about one of the cities that I love in Greece, the city of Corinth. And one of the reasons why I love it is when you go on the journeys of Paul, and you go to so many places where that Paul had been in the missionary journeys, there's cities sitting on those ruins, but it's not that way at Corinth. When you go to Corinth, it's really pretty neat because uh, they, the city has moved since the time of Paul. So the ruins are there, and you can stand in the Bema. You can be at the place where Paul was, and it's just something pretty neat about putting your feet where they have been. And uh, so we're going to be looking today at that city. And what you've got to realize is the context of chapter 18, Paul's on his second missionary journey. Uh, he's gone the second time uh, up to, on Asia Minor. And uh, he's he's about ready to head home. And God said, no, you're going to Macedonia. And we find this journey, the very first witness in Europe, as he moves across and gets eventually to Philippi. And we find the very first convert there, Lydia. It's quite a neat place. You can actually go to the place where they think she was baptized. You can go to the prison uh, where Paul was in prison there in Philippi. But he's making his way down through central Greece and sharing the gospel, and being opposed, and being thrown into prison, and all kinds of things are happening. And uh, he ends up at Athens. And you would think, by what we know of the geography of that world, that he would have stayed in Athens. We're going to see in just a minute why he didn't stay in Athens, okay? Uh, He went on south of there. He went to the city of Corinth. And let's pick this up. Let's begin reading in chapter 18 of the book of Acts, those first four verses. And after this, Paul left Athens, and he went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus. By the way, just circle Pontus if you have a pencil with your Bible. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Recently, he had been from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them because he was of the same trade. He stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath And to try to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Now, when we talk about Paul leaving Athens, and you say, why would he go to Corinth? In other words, we see today that Athens is such a greater city. But in that day, the city of Corinth was the greatest city in all of Greece. And you say, why in the world was it such a great city? We're going to show a map on the screen, and you're going to see Paul's journey, and you'll see he gets to Athens. And then he crosses a little land bridge and he goes to the city of Corinth. And what was happening in that day and time is the commerce would go across the Adriatic to the Aegean Sea. And it was very, very dangerous to go around the bottom. And that's where the storms were. And so what the ships would do from both directions is just north of Corinth, they would come to this place that is a small land bridge. Now, by the way, they have now cut a little canal through there that small boats can get through. But what they would do is so they would avoid the danger, they would bring those ships to that place. They would offload them and then load them on another ship on the other side of that land bridge or sometimes... Uh, They would move the ship and actually put it up on rails and push the ship along to the other side of the land bridge. But for that reason, Corinth was a very strategic, but listen to this, a very wealthy city. It was that land bridge, it was even more wealthy, more prominent than Athens was. And uh, it became very wealthy. And what you would have is all of these cultures from both directions were coming across to Corinth became very, very prosperous, but it also became a very religious city. Uh, Historians tell us that there were literally 12 temples, religious temples at Corinth. One of the most famous ones is the temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And if you go to Corinth, above it is this great mountain. And on top of that mountain was the temple. And they would go up there to that place. And by the way, their temple worship was built around sexuality. They were what were known as temple prostitutes. And so, hey, you've been on the ship for a long time, and you can uh, go to a place to worship, and guess what you're going to get? You're not going to get great music like we have here. You're going to get the opportunity physically to be involved with someone sexually. And so for that reason, Corinth not only was a very wealthy city, it was also a very immoral city. In that day and time, when you talked about immorality, we would talk about someone being Corinthianized. Why? Because they had been to that place. And so when you read the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians, you find two things that Paul deals with. One, he deals with money because they were very wealthy. But also he speaks more about sexuality in 1 and 2 Corinthians than the other place in the Bible. And the reason why is in his 18 months of staying there, he had to confront that. He had to deal with that. And he was teaching the church how to come out of those things and follow after the life of Christ. And so what we find here is Paul coming to this very strategic place. And there in that strategic place, where are you going to stay? Well, he runs on to Priscilla and Aquila. Now you say, my goodness, it just said they came from Rome. I had you circle the word Pontus. They were literally from the northern part of Asia Minor. If you go up there by Troas, up toward the Black Sea, that's where Pontus was. Now, something kind of unique for you, just a little sidelight, if you moved over to Acts chapter number two, and it talked about when Pentecost happened, there were all of those languages that the people heard the gospel. Do you know what one of those languages were? It was the language of the people from Pontus. So what that means is, is there's a good chance That Priscilla and Aquila were there at the Pentecost. At least if they were not there, there was someone who was there who went back to Pontus, shared Christ with them. And then you find them going from Pontus over to Rome and then getting thrown out of Rome. And guess where they would land? They would land in the city of Corinth. And they would land in that city at a time when God's going to need a housing place for his great missionary Paul. Isn't it amazing? When God works together in all things, as it says in Romans eight twenty eight, he uses all things for his glory. And he even takes care of little details, like bringing someone from Pontus to Rome. And not only from Rome, back then to Corinth. People who were what? Who were tent makers. And Paul could stay at their house. And what does that say to us? I, as I read this thing in the very beginning, God is never lost in the details. He's in all of the details. So that means today for all of us in both of these rooms, there are things happening in our lives right now. And we say, where in the world is God in all of this? Guess where he is? He's in the middle of everything. He doesn't work just some things together for good. He works what? All things together for good. And so that means today, there's no wasted motion in your life and my life. God's not up there saying, well, you just kind of go over here and in a minute, I will join you. No, right now in your life, right now in my life, God is in the middle of every single detail, bringing about his glory, his plans. By the way, they are not great in general. They are very precise, precise for you and precise for me. And so we find Paul showing up in Corinth. God's already got somebody there to talk to him. Let's continue in this text. Verse number five. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, by the way, that's up north, Paul was occupied with the word by the way, when I looked at this text and wanted to preach today, I almost just took that phrase, and that would be the whole sermon, because I want my life to be occupied with the word. He was testifying to the Jews that Jesus was, uh, that the that Christ was Jesus, that the Messiah was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments, and he said to them, "Your blood be on your own hands." I am innocent. From now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So he left there, went to the house of a man by the name of Thaddeus Justus, a worshiper of God. Now, he said he's leaving the Jews, but look at this. Paul says his house was next door to the synagogue. (laughs) Isn't that kind of funny? Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his whole household. Now, look at this. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul believe and were baptized... And the Lord said to Paul, one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed in that place a year and six months teaching the word of God to them. Now, what's going on right here? The apostle Paul has spent his time in these missionary journeys focused upon the Jewish people. Out of their rejection, many of them and their opposition, he said, okay, okay, I've had enough. Even the opposition, God's going to use to move this man to follow after the uh, uh, Gentiles. And out of that, though, Crispus, who was the main guy, synagogues, synagogue means gathering. Every synagogue has a leader. Crispus was the leader. Crispus comes to Jesus. Crispus comes to know Jesus Christ and, and, and becomes a follower of Christ and his entire household. And God is moving mightily. In fact, one of the words that I circled in this text is when it says, and many came to know Jesus. That's in comparison. If you go up a few uh, verses to chapter 17, it says in Athens, but some men came to know Christ. And so what you see is that in Athens, yes, there were some who were coming to Christ. But the word some and many speaks about a multiplication. And so when we began to look at this text, we began to realize the reason why Paul stayed there is God was moving. God was in the middle of what was happening. It was exciting to be in the church life of Corinth, and, and Paul was excited about that, and he wanted to stay in that place. And by the way, for you and me, if you ever wonder what God's will is for your life or my life, just find out some place God's moving and go get in the middle of. it. When you see around you the work of God, that's God pointing a finger at you and saying, come on, get involved with me. And so God is moving in Paul's life, and he's saying, get involved because I'm doing a great work right here. But listen, every time, every time there's a great work of God, there's going to be what? Great opposition. By the way, if, if you think following the will of God is going to be an easy walk in the park, you, you haven't studied Scripture. If you think you and I are going to be a witness for Christ... And everyone at work and in our family is going to pat us on the back and say, come on, keep talking, keep talking. You know that that's the opposite is true. We need to recognize there is an opposition out there. There is a, a deceiver. There is one called the Satan. There's one called the devil. And he takes his demons and guess what he's doing with them. He's not just at the ball game. He's not just at the park. He is standing at your door scheming to destroy you and destroy me doing everything he can to destroy our witness. And that's what you find right here. This opposition is happening. And as you look at that, you and I have to face the reality that if we choose to be a witness for Christ, there's something we need to expect, and that's opposition. You need to know the world will not cheer you and me on if we try and build a great church here. The world will not cheer us on if we want our neighbors and friends to know Jesus as Savior. Satan himself will send all the demons of hell against everything he can, against the witness of God's church and God's people. And so you look at that and you say, well, what does God say to you and me whenever we face that kind of opposition? Well, I think the same thing he said to Paul, he says to us 2,000 years later. This vision that he has right here, he says, Paul, listen to me. There's three things you need to know while you're there in Corinth. If you're going to stay... And you're going to work your way through what's going on right here. There's three things you need to know. First of all, I'm going to be with you. And since I'm going to be with you, you should have no fear. Paul, he says in that verse, he said, The Lord said to him, Do not be afraid. Now, uh, let's be honest, if we would, about our witness for Christ. You as a church are challenging each other to find two people in 2024 that you would share Christ with. It could be a neighbor, it could be a family member, it could be a co-worker that makes fun of Christianity. It could be even just someone you meet on a happen chance experience. And, and in, in the middle of all of that, you say, you know, how in the world am I going to deal with this? What's going to happen? Is this person going to reject me? Is this person going to make fun of me at work or at school? Is this person going to belittle me? Or are, are they going to ask me questions I can't answer? And so what happens is is, is there's a fear about us that if we decide wherever we go to school, wherever we work, wherever we live, to be a witness for Christ, what Satan's going to try and do is, first of all, is make us be fearful of the consequences. What may happen at our workplace, what may happen in our neighborhood, by the way, what may happen in our family. We decide to stand for Christ and be a witness for him what God says to us. As you and I decide to be used of him, the first thing he says is don't fear. Don't you know something? Don't fear him who can kill the body. Fear him who can kill the soul. And the world around us will try and put fear within our eyes. He said don't fear them. But he also says do not be silent. Do you know what's missing in our world today? is most of us as believers are sitting off on the sideline as the world goes to hell in a handbasket and as people run away from God and the culture seems to be on a downward spiral away from God. And what, what we begin to feel is, what's the use? Why speak? You know, Why even get involved in this? Because it's going to cause me some turmoil. It's going to cause me some opposition. Well, he says right here, Paul, listen, don't you shut up. Don't you be quiet. Now, I'm not saying here, go out there and be obnoxious. I'm not talking about taking a Bible and beating people with it. I'm talking about just simply being a witness for Christ, having a testimony ready on our lips, knowing what the Scripture says about the things of God, so that when we get in that place, and God gives us that witnessing opportunity, we will not be silent. In fact, rather than being silent, we'll be people who are vocal. What God says, if you're willing to do that, You need to know there's two things here. First of all, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to have some people along to encourage you. God says, we step out into this culture. Be willing to be a witness for Christ. Pick out those two people that we're praying for and looking for opportunity to share. Guess who's going to be with us and marshalling all of the circumstances? God himself. If you think that's not true, just look at Paul. He he gets on a boat and heads to northern Greece. He's heading down through central Greece. He doesn't know where he's going to stay, what he's going to do. God's already prepared Priscilla and Aquila. He's already got many in the city that have become believers because of them. He's got things ready for him. What God's just waiting on is someone to be willing to share. Someone who's being willing to, to, to get on the line for him. And guess what that means to you and me? That means today, when church is over, we're not going to just send out three or four or five people as missionaries and send the staff out as designated hitters. What God's going to do, God's going to send this entire crowd and say, You're going to be witnesses for me. And I want you to know wherever you go, whoever you encounter, I've already been at work. You don't have to make it happen. I have been at work. I'm preparing someone to care for you. I'm preparing someone who knows me. I want you to know I'm going to be with you and I'm going to walk with you if you'll be willing to step out and be a witness for me. So God says to Paul, he says to you and me, listen, you want to get involved? I want you to know if you'll get involved, I'll be with you. But you know what he also says in this? He says there are many who believe like you and if you'll get involved, that many will gather around you. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us to never forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Do you know what one of the purposes is? And us gathering in small groups and, and then gathering in discipleship groups and gathering in classes and doing all that we do in this gathering? It's not so we can have a good potluck, okay? It's not so we can talk about the ball game. The book of Hebrews says you gather together because you need the encouragement. Many times as believers, we try and become lone rangers out there and we wonder why we start being silenced because we're not in a place where we can be encouraged. What God wants is to take His church, use His church to encourage us. And all around you this morning are the many that God has brought you together with to be encouraged to be a witness for Him. So what happens when Paul does this? Let's continue. Verse 12. But when Gallio was proconsul, by the way, circle the word proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul, brought him before the tribunal. By the way, that united attack, Satan's always good at saying, it. no one wants to talk to you, everybody's against you. And they said, this man persuading people to worship God is contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, who speaks up? Gallio. He said to the Jews, if it's a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, oh Jews, I would have been reason, had reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own laws, see about it yourself. I refuse, I refuse to be the judge of these things. By the way, we're going to show in just a minute how incredible that statement is. And he drove them away from the tribunal, and they all see Sosthenes, who is what? The new ruler of the synagogue, because why? Crispus had come to know Jesus, and they beat him in front of the tribunal, but Gallio paid no attention to any of this. What's going on right here? The, the apostle Paul is being opposed, and some secular guy named Gallio stands up and said, You know something? I'm not going to get involved in this. I, I'm not going to fight this battle. Now, by the way, let, let me just give you a little historical context of this. Up until this point, in the Christian missionary journeys, Christianity was just seen as a sect or part of Judaism. And so they had some protections. But when it began to show that it wasn't just a sect of Judaism, the Judaism, Jewish began to oppose them. And what would happen is they would bring them before. And you, you see all through his journeys, he'd be brought before the tribunals. Well, a proconsul, by the way, was like a governor, very, very powerful guy. When Galileo makes this proclamation, it is declared all over the land. And so when one part of the Roman Empire decides that, it's something that goes out all over the land. And many historians believe the reason why the gospel prospered so good and began to have less opposition is because of what happened right here. Galileo declared that, it became the law of the land. And so what happens is, is the, the Jewish people, because of the Roman world and the freedom now within the Roman world, the uh, Christian people could take the gospel to the world just simply because this man said, don't get involved. But one of the things I love about this text, I, I was going to kind of rush by it too quickly, but I want us to stop and talk about Sosthenes, Because listen carefully to me. Every one of us have a Sosthenes that's in our life. Somebody who opposes the gospel. Could be a family member that makes fun of you. Could be a coworker who gets a little more vulgar around you just so they can kind of show off they don't know Jesus. Or that neighbor that when you leave, they were gotten their golf clubs heading out and wave at you when you head off to church, okay? Just seem to want to put it in your face. He becomes ruler of the synagogue. This guy that seemed impossible. If you, turn over, if you would, just to the very first part of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Paul is left there and is now writing a letter back. Very first verse. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And to who? Our brother Sosthenes. Here's this guy that seemed like the impossible case. Here's this guy that has opposed more than anybody in the world. Here's this guy who's thrown it in everyone's face. I'll become ruler of that synagogue. Christmas, you go on and follow that say, but I'll stand up against this. Somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, Sosthenes comes to Jesus. Now guess what that means to you and me? That means God's interested in the tough cases. God knows who the Sosthenes is in your life and my life. In fact, the moment I say that, a name just comes and jumps in my mind somebody I know that has allowed me to share Jesus with them and, and had various reasons to do that. And I, I get real tense about it because I want them to know and I think I've got to make it happen. And God keeps saying, wait wait, wait wait, wait, a minute, Gary. I didn't put you in charge of this. I'm the one that's in charge of this. I just want you to be faithful. I just want you to follow me. I, I want you to just simply be used to be whenever you can. And wherever you feel the prompting of God's Spirit, I want God to be working in my life like He was right here. I don't want this just to be a Bible study that I do and many come to Jesus way back there. I want the sum of today to become many right now. I want my life to be such that I can go to the Corinths of this world. Go to the Corinths of this world. God's already been working. I want to go to school. I want to go to work. I want to go into the recreation opportunities. I want to go into the neighborhood and know that around me, yes, there's going to be some Sosthenes people that just seem impossible. But God wants to say to you and me, hey, don't be silent. Don't fear. I'm going to be with you. And if you'll walk with me, I'm going to let you see me Use you for my glory. I'm going to let you be able to write a letter back and say to all the friends you're at Corinth, by the way, my good buddy, Sophonis, I want you to know, great to hear about things going on in your life. You know, as I speak about that, I I know right now each one of us think, my, what's it going to take for me to find myself in circumstances like the 18th chapter found Paul. You say, well, does it mean I've got to move to a foreign place? No. It just means wherever God's put you and me, he's got a plan for our life. He's got the Crispuses, Priscilla and aquilos, the Sostenes, the Gallios. And by the way, there's a God up in the heaven that's orchestrating it all for his glory. What he's looking for is a church, a people, a family, a person who's willing to say, Hey, Lord, I just don't want to be an observer to this kingdom stuff. I want to find my life involved in many people coming to know Jesus. As I looked at this, I see three principles just jump off the page. I'll share this and we'll begin. First of all, I think it simply begins. With us saying, Holy Spirit, you live in me. You direct my path in this process. If I get a hold of it, I'm going to mess it up. I've done that many times. But it's just simply saying, by the way, this book you're studying is not the Acts of the Apostles. Guess what it is? The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Twenty-seven times throughout this book, you find the Holy Spirit telling someone what to do, what to say, where to go. Without the Holy Spirit, we're going to turn people off. Without the Holy Spirit, we're going to do more problems than we do right. This is God saying to us, you know something? I want the Holy Spirit of God to take this simple human being, wherever I go, whatever I do, I want him to use me for his glory. That's where it starts. Second thing. It means we need to be looking and ready. Let me say those two words again. Be looking and be ready. The Bible says be ready in season and out of season. When it seems easy, when it's not easy. Look around us. Because you know something? I'm convinced that when you and I say to God, I'm available. God's not going to say, well, okay, so you're available. I've got other things to do. No, you know what God's going to do? God's going to take the person who's filled with His Spirit and bring by us people who need the message of the gospel. not going to waste our yieldedness. In fact, I believe the Bible says God stands all day long with His arms outstretched, waiting on somebody who'll say, I'll be used. God, use me for His glory. I remember Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade for Christ, once said, in a meeting I was into, every time, We have a one-on-one conversation with someone. We ought to be asking, God, how can I take this conversation to the gospel? I want you to know, I think God will honor that. We'll be willing to say it. Be looking, be ready. But then lastly, let God do the persuading. Do you ever feel like you've got to be the one that makes it happen when you witness? And the reason why many of us get frustrated is because we can't make it happen. People seem to do this rather than do that. What we begin to think is our job to persuade the Crispuses and the Sosthenes, and, and, and it's our job to get the Gallios to do the things they ought to do. That's not our job. In fact, Campus Crusade has this definition of witness, sharing Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. I think we share Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, and then we think we're in charge of the results. No. That's God's business. What I think we see out of this text is God is preparing people around us. And he's preparing people around us. And sometimes it may be difficult and trying. And all kinds of things are going on. But guess who's at work? God's at work. He's worked work so that many can come to faith. And God gives you and me the privilege of being used by him. But let me maybe close with this little story. All right? I happen to have five granddaughters starting at the age of two all the way to the one I'll see today who's 28, okay? And when those four granddaughters, older ones, were 28, 26, 24, 22 now, when, when they were out there involved, in, in the people I hated most in this world were boys, okay? And uh, boys would come around and, and uh, you know, I, I, I didn't like any boy that came around, all right? But I always made sure I'd get around and find out about church or that. And they'd, my granddaughters are always a little bit uncomfortable with me. Come on, granddad. You, you know, okay. And so I'd, I'd kind of sometime back. Well, my oldest granddaughter was going to school at Texas State. She was dating a young man that we got to know. Uh, he was from Flower Mound. And uh, one day, just in a side conversation, I said, well, tell me about your church, your family, your church life. And he made this comment. He said, well, we didn't go to church. We played baseball. And, well, that told me something right there about him. And so I thought, I'd sure like for that young man to know about Jesus. And, 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 uh, you know, Lord opened some door for me to do that. Well, about a month or two later, the two of them broke up and weren't dating anymore. But one night, the neighbor to that young man had a gun in his house and knocked the gun off the rack in some way, shot a bullet through the wall, hit that young man. And that young man died, and I know many in my family were mourning this young man. He's a fine kid; I mean, a great kid. But I tell you what, I was mourning. Is Lord, did did you put me? Did you put me in this young man's life for me to share with him that I, I let fear silence me? So I called my four grand girls together. I said, "Girls, I know sometimes you may think I've." talk this Jesus stuff too much, but I want to tell you something. You need to be ready. I don't care who you date. When I get to know them, I'm going to find an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. If you don't want me to do that, don't you bring them around me. Okay. I said, I'm not going to be obnoxious. Not going to be unkind. I'm going to love them. If you care about them, I'm going to care about them. I'll never forget. A few months after that, we were on vacation as a family. My number two, Lissy, had brought her boyfriend Gannon along. And we were out on the back porch. Sandy remembers that. And we started talking about the Lord. And, and I, we asked. I said, "Gannon, Sandy, said anything like this ever happened to your life?" And he said, "No." Sure would want it to. I go, "Okay." Open the door, slap me in the face. Well, Gannon and Lissy decide instead of going all the way back to Houston, they would stop on the way and spend the night with us. We got to our house. I said, "Hey, you two guys, I got to talk to you just a minute. Could we just..." Give me five minutes, ten minutes. Sit down at the table. I took out and I used the circles. And I told Gannon about Jesus. First thing I turned to Lissy. he said, Lissy, you know that? Yes, I do. I do know that. I know Jesus as my Savior. Gannon, do you? Gannon looked at me and said, no, but I sure want that in my life. And the great joy is when they've gotten married. I got to marry two people who know Jesus. I got the privilege of sharing Jesus with someone and them coming to faith in Christ. Did I orchestrate that? No, no. It was God in heaven who orchestrated it. Did I persuade him? No, it's not my business. God himself had him ready. I want you to know, I don't think that's the only person God's going to put in my life that's ready. What he's waiting for is for me to be ready. To not fear, not be silent, and know God's going to be with me. And that's what he's saying to you today. When those two people that you're being challenged to share Jesus with, are you responsible for them? No. But you are responsible for what you're going to do when you're with them. How you live, what you say, what you're going to do with the conversation. Acts chapter 18 says to me and you, Listen. God's going to give us that opportunity. He wants us to be looking. He wants us to be ready. Now, some of you today have come to this service, either of these rooms. God's been at work in your life already. And you're ready for faith. I want you to know everything we do on Sunday morning is not to entertain us. It's so we can talk to you about Jesus. We want you to know faith in Jesus Christ. Just a moment, I'm going to pray and your minister will be at the front in the other room and I'll be right here. This morning, if you're in this place and God's been at work in your life and you want to talk with someone about Jesus, that's why we're here. We don't care how long it'll take today. We want you to know about the faith that we have in Jesus. And at the end of the service, I'm going to be at the next steps room you feel uncomfortable coming forward in a service like this or, or the other service, you come to that place. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there for one reason. I, I really appreciate it when you say, Pastor, good sermon, whatever. I like that stuff. I never get tired of it. But what I love is for someone to come say to me, I want to know the Jesus you were talking about. That's what my life needs. So let's bow our heads, please, for a word of prayer. Would you? Would you just take a moment and uh, let the Holy Spirit be at work in you? I'm not here today that I'm the persuader. That moving in your soul is God moving. God wanting to draw you into a relationship with him. Not me. In a moment, I'm going to be here at the front. Others of this church staff will be here. If today you want a relationship with Jesus, if you've come today to understand, I cannot save myself and I know I'm a sinner and I need a relationship with God, that relationship doesn't come through First Baptist Church, it comes through Jesus. We want you today to know that Jesus. Now I'm going to be here, we're going to sing a song, Christ Alone. We sing that song, God speaking. Please come, please come. Your eternity hangs in the balance. Lord, take this moment. Take these moments. Speak to us. Father, we know today our hope is in Christ alone. Help us to embrace that this day as our salvation. Do that today for your glory, your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.